0: Welcome to episode number 223. In today's episode, we are going to be talking with a very special guest on how he turned a third acre yard into a edible landscape using reclaimed and recycled building materials that feeds not only himself but also the community and tips that you can use for doing the very same thing, even if you have a small portion of land, and especially if you've got a larger area of land, you definitely can do this. Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast with me, your host, Melissa K. Norris, best-selling author of three books, including my brand new book, The Family Garden Plan, Grow a Year's Worth of Sustainable and Healthy Food. Founder of the Pioneering Today Academy and the website MelissaKNorris.com with the Pioneering Today blog. I am so thrilled to have you here with me today. Welcome if you are a new listener and if you are a longtime listener or repeat listener, high five. So glad to have you back with me. I think you are really going to enjoy today's episode. One. Today's guest is a lot of fun and is just as passionate about growing your own food as I am. You're going to get a lot of inspiration, but a lot of very practical tips as well. And there's one thing I'm going to ask you at the end of this episode, and I can't wait to hear what your answer is. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Greg has lived at his home, the Urban Farm, for 30 years. It's Phoenix's first environmental showcase for urban farming. This one-third acre yard features a primarily edible landscape, including over 70 fruit trees. You guys, on a third acre, 70 fruit trees, rainwater and graywater harvesting, solar applications, and extensive use of reclaimed and recycled building materials. Greg is a longtime permaculture advocate, found out of university in 1981 because he was bored. Then he went back 20 years later to get a bachelor's degree, followed by a master's in urban and environmental planning in 2006. He is a lifelong continual learner, which I think is one of the best traits of gardeners and homesteaders. We are lifelong learners. Greg's the creator of the Urban Farm Fruit Tree Education Program in Phoenix, Arizona, and he began it in 1999 when he discovered you could go into most nurseries and they would sell you a fruit tree that would never produce fruit. Back then, the program was a yearly springtime education series on best practices for growing fruits. But since then, it's turned into a program where thousands of people attend free online and in-person classes, and they get to pre-order fruit trees for planting in the low desert. Each year, the program delivers over 5,000 fruit trees into the local market. Greg is also the host of the UrbanFarmPodcast.com, and in just three years, they've released over 500 episodes the average listens per episode is just over 3,000, amassing over 1.8 million list- listens. On his days off, he hangs out in his garden with Heidi's sweetheart, Kissmit, his pooch, and their chickens, creating new projects and catching some rays. So without further ado, let's dive in to this interview. Well, I am really excited to have you on today and to get to talk to you. So, welcome, Greg, to the Pioneering Today podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: Woohoo. I know. You know, it's a funny thing gardeners, like, we get super excited. Like, we. Right? Love, right? There's an energy when you talk to somebody else who grows their own food mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah, like, you just want to high
1: five. Yeah, exactly. I do garden consults for people on the phone. And yesterday, I had this gentleman on the phone and he was kind of a burly lumberjack kind of guy and not one you would expect to get into gardening. And we, at one point we got on our uh, iPhones and did a FaceTime and he was lit up about this patch of dirt that he had in his backyard. And I actually told him at the end of the call, I love, love, love having conversations with people like you because you're, it, 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 you can feel the energy in the space right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it felt like. And it, those kind of calls and those kind of interactions just light me up.
0: Yeah, same here. It's so much fun when someone has the passion about this and they're eager and they're like, let's do it. And they're wanting to learn. And when you said lumberjack, okay, I'm, I'm having to laugh because I am a logger's daughter, like oh. <laughs> fourth generation. And so I'm, I'm like, oh, I know all about lumberjacks. My husband's a sawyer. And we love to grow our own food. Actually, nice. loggers and lumberjacks are huge proponents of doing, people wrongly assume not because mm-hmm. they cut down trees, mm-hmm. Um, and they're huge proponents of the environment and oh, taking time. care of it and, you know, and doing it a sustainable way. So anyways, I just had to put that little shout out out there. When you said <laughs> nice. lumberjack, I'm like, oh yeah, that's my peeps. Those are my people. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So I'm excited to talk with you today because you come from, into gardening, which I think is awesome because it just shows we can garden anywhere and everywhere, like yeah. seriously. But you come from an urban aspect where I've always been very rural. So mm. tell me, I want to give people you know, a little bit of history about your gardening and your growing and the environment and where you're coming at it from. So share with us about your your gardening beginnings and where you guys are at
1: now. Awesome. So I actually live in Phoenix, Arizona. I live right in the middle of Phoenix, Arizona. If you stood on my roof, you could see city you know, if you could see that far, you could see cities for 50 miles in all directions all the way around. And my parents moved me here. I jokingly say kicking and screaming when I was six in 1967. And by 1974, we were living on a half acre right in the middle of Phoenix. And we had something called flood irrigation. And flood irrigation basically is a water right that comes with the lot that allows us to get, 22 floods a year. So six inches of water in the yard, 22 times. And that was fascinating to me, especially when it came to my first garden. So when we moved into that house in 1974, mom said, see the right half of the backyard? That's your garden, go start digging. And I, to this day, I'm 58 years old now. And to this day, I have no idea where that came from or why I was so interested in it. Uh, In fact, in the eighth grade, right around 74, 75, I wrote a paper on how we were overfishing the oceans. Wow. Yeah, I was really interested in aquaculture and fish farming in my teens and 20s. In fact, my first business here in Phoenix, I used to clean, service, and build fish ponds. And one of the kinds of fish ponds that I would build for people were aquaculture ponds, so they could actually grow fish in their backyard. And by about 1981, I was on the board of the Arizona Aquaculture Association, and they're no longer in existence, but they were back then, and we would go visit fish farms around the state, and one of the things that I noticed with some of the fish farms is they would harvest the fish, they would clean the fish, and you may not know this, and listeners may not know this, but when you clean a fish, you have about 30% meat and 70% everything that's left over. And this particular farm was taking the 70 percent, everything that was left over, and they were throwing it out to the wildlife. And that is wrong in so many ways. But I looked at that and I thought to myself, my gosh, there's got to be a better way. So about 81 or 82 on paper, I designed a fish farm where everything that everything that was created was used in a what we would call now a regenerative way. So nothing got wasted. And the only thing that came out of the fish farm was something that was usable. Fast forward to 1991, the one years where I was born in 61. In 1981, I did that. In 1991, I discovered several really important things that that have been pivotal for me in my life. First of all, I discovered Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. It is a book. It changed my life forever. That's all I'm going to say about it because I could talk for hours about it. But it's an amazing, amazing book, looking at how we, over the last 10,000 years, have come to dominate the planet. And it gives ideas on something, other, something else that we can do. The second thing that I discovered in 1991 was permaculture. And I like to call permaculture the art and science of, of working with nature. In fact, I noticed you recently had a, a guest talking about sheet mulching. That's a concept that is heavily embedded in uh, permaculture. The third thing that happened for me in 1991, it was, this was a big year as I took a course at Landmark Education and it, it was their advanced course and they pushed us to create our vision for our lives. So I created myself to be in 1991, the person on the planet responsible for transforming our global food system. You had some big goals. I like it. Well, why not? Yeah, You know, it takes just as much energy to think small as it does to think big. So I really encourage that. Then there was a fourth piece. And this fourth piece that happened in 1991 was kind of kind of clinked everything into place. A friend of mine went to the South Pacific on a sailboat and they anchored at a small island looking for a grocery store. And when they went on the island, the people living on the island looked at them funny and they said, Go pick your own. (laughs) I like it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then in, in 2001, I was back at Arizona State University getting my bachelor's and master's degrees. And I had to write a paper, again, reinvent my vision for my life. And I created the Urban Farm. And the Urban Farm is the place where I live. I've been here 30 years. It's a lot that is 80 feet wide and 160 feet deep. The house was built in... 1948, Uh, it's another flood irrigated property. I purposely bought it 30 years ago. Number one reason was because it had that flood water. And um, so now I teach people from here. So we do tours and classes here at the house. Uh, I like to call it an environmental showcase home. Uh, The entire yard is edible. We have over 80 fruit trees on the property. Uh, we have chickens in the backyard, solar panels on the roof, rainwater and greywater harvesting, and pretty much anything that you could imagine would be living a green lifestyle or a greener lifestyle. I've done here. Awesome! So, so actually, that's kind of, that's kind of my pathway to get where I'm at.
0: Okay, I love it, and I've got some questions because I have been to Phoenix a couple of times, and compared to what I'm used to, my gardening in the Pacific Northwest, obviously very, very different gardening conditions, the right. growing conditions. So you've mentioned the flood water, which I think would probably be key, but I'm curious about like with the flood water, because I know here when we flood, which is from, you know, our rivers, you know, we just get the ground gets saturated and then we'll have, you know, snow melt and that type of thing. Usually a lot of rainfall for our flooding, um, but it's different obviously than what you guys are experiencing. But are you ever nervous about the floodwater, like carrying contaminants or you're, you're good? With, I'm just very, very curious about that because I'm yeah. assuming the water's coming from your urban environment where not that mine can't have contaminants either when we get flooded. But mine's coming more from like the rivers and the mountains and yeah. you know, the water on the planet's all recycled, et cetera. But so I'm just kind of curious about that part when you were talking about that.
1: That is a really great question, by the way. And I have two answers for that. The first answer is, is the water actually comes from uh, northern Arizona, comes down through the rivers, uh, through a series of canals that then uh, feed the Phoenix metropolitan area. There's about 4.8 million people that live in the Phoenix metropolitan area. It's our drinking water, so they clean it for drinking water and it's our flood water and for several, you know, several things. Um, The second answer to that is, and this is the sad part for me, we live in a very polluted world. Yeah. I personally don't believe we can go anywhere on the planet that isn't polluted in some way, shape or form, which is really sad for me. So we can just do the best that we can do. Absolutely. And, you yeah. know, so the flood water, you know, there may be stuff in there, but is there much I can do about it? I mean, the water that comes into my house, there's stuff in, you know, they put fluoride and chlorine in it. So, you know, those are both neurotoxins. Yeah. We just have to be aware of as best as we can, we have to be aware.
0: Yeah. And I love that answer because that's always that you just have to do the best with what you have, with where you're at, with what you know at the time. Like exactly. I look back, you know, 15 years ago and I'm like, <laughs> oh man, if I'd known what I know yep. now. But you can't, you can't go back and redo it and you can't dwell on that. So I love I love your attitude um, and your answer to that. I was just very curious. It, it, I wasn't trying to pick on it or anything. Oh, no,
1: no, not at all. I'm, okay, good. I, <laughs> I, that I wanted all. to clarify. I, so You know, yeah. I do, I do. you've given me an opening here that I just want to jump in on one thing real quick. And I developed a theory about a decade ago. Um, and I'm starting to get data on this theory now, external data. Um, and that my mom is 84 years old. I'm 58 years old. Uh, Jay, uh, uh, Taylor, who is one of the, my key team members, is 26 years old. So we have this span of people. And the theory goes like this. An 84-year-old has lived on the planet for about 30% of the time where it's been really polluted. So somebody that's 84 years old has lived on a planet that's been polluted for about 30% of their life. That makes sense? Makes sense. Got it. Perfect. Me at 58, I've lived on a planet that's very polluted for maybe 50 to 60% of my life. And Taylor, who is 26 years old, has lived on a planet 100% of her life that's very polluted. Let me say that in a little different way. Has lived on a planet that's very polluted for 100% of her life. Gotcha. The health issues, first of all, that I'm seeing at 58 right now, are the same kinds of health issues, environmental health issues that my mom is seeing at 84. And I'm 25 years younger than she is, and I'm starting to have those kind of health issues. The youngers, the millennials, the, eight, you know, the, the zero years old to 30 years old, we're starting to see a health environmental impact that is almost overwhelming. So we, as youngers—I'm going to include myself in an older younger, era, you know, kind of category—but especially the 26-year-olds, they have to be a lot more conscious about what they're putting in and what they're putting on their body, because your skin is your single biggest organ on your body. Yes. Yeah. And through your skin, and through what you eat and drink and breathe, that's where a significant portion of our toxins come in. And I am a believer that 100% of the dis-ease in the world comes from three different things. And we have access to all three of those. They are lack of nutrition in our food, environmental toxins, and stress.
0: Yeah. You know, it's so funny. So my dad is 82 Mm -hmm. and I'm I don't know if I've ever said this before on the podcast. Look at this. I'm 38. <laughs> and um, of course, you know, and I've got kiddos who I got a—I yep. got a teen and, and then a preteen. And so what, what's really interesting is, you know, my dad was raised actually when uh, during the, the Great Depression years when he was obviously very young, mm-hmm. um, but he remembers them. And he was raised, you know, out in the country on a homestead. Uh, they had an actual hand pump with an outhouse that ha- wow. the cabin is still standing and they raised the majority of their own food. So I really feel like, and then uh, my mom is from his second marriage. And so he, obviously my mom was younger than quite a bit younger than him, actually there's 19 and a half years between them. So mm-hmm. he had me later in life, but I feel very blessed to have been raised. Um, I almost feel like a generation apart in a way, because I was raised um, by someone who had that experience and that was that much older um and I was raised in a rural homestead type environment where we always uh-huh. raised our own beef and had those advantages. but the interesting thing, and the whole reason I'm bringing this up, so for my listeners, they know this part, but I just wanted to share this we when I was in my early twenties, just like you're saying you know like with Taylor, even though mine isn't quite that hundred percent, um you know, I got away from you know a lot like a lot of our own food and just eating the food that was in the grocery store now we still had a garden i did green beans and actually have always had our own beef but chicken you know all the other stuff and right. so by the time i was 28 i actually had to have my stomach and my esophagus biopsied for cancer i had uh. stomach like a ton of health issues like really significant at 28 years old thankfully i didn't have cancer it came back benign but i did have cellular change that is a precursor, obviously, to cancer cells growing at 28. And so that's when I really started going like deep into like, yep. I've got, I know how to do this. I'm just not doing it on a larger scale to feed us with more and more of our stuff. And that's really where my huge journey and, and then sharing all of this, because it was life-changing for my health. And just like yeah. you said, yeah, the skin, that it was making my own skincare, purchasing better things, really paying attention to what we were using in our home. And no, I can't really control you know, my air quality or what falls in the rain from the sky. But there's Uh so many other things that we can control and it does make a huge impact on your health. And so when you were saying that, I'm like, yes, like I've, I've seen it lived out in, in myself. So anyways, I, yeah, you you got me going.
1: (laughs) Interesting. Interestingly. uh, So I have uh, with the urban farm podcast, we have, uh, we've done over 500 episodes in the past four years and a significant amount of people that I have interviewed on my podcast shared that the pivotal point for them was they got sick. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you that are listening out there that aren't sick, wake up now. Amen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If you can't tell,
1: I go to church. So
0: you're going to get amens and hallelujahs. You and me too. So, so, okay. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. And so that's what I'm trying now with my kids, right? Like my mm-hmm. daughter is, um, I had, this was right when I had her, actually, all of this happened. And so mm-hmm. her life has pretty much been, you know, witness to this and using these things. Whereas my son was four years old. And I'm like, man, I mean, and it's just four years. I'm like, so grateful that, you know, that I got to go down this path when he was still really young and everything but it's really interesting to see the difference in his taste buds versus my daughter's mm. she was raised from the beginning on like no pro- very little processed food let me be clear there are occasional things that come in that aren't the greatest we live with a little bit of grace and, you know, so I don't, I don't want to sound like too dogmatic there, but just the difference in saying like she'll eat a lot more vegetables and stuff than he will and enjoys them, like loves them. And I really think it's because her taste buds were conditioned from mm. the get go, whereas his were developed in those earlier years without so much of that. So anyways, it's yeah. just a theory. I, you know, I have no, I, I don't know cause I don't have more kids to test it on, but <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So I, Love hearing about it. I want to go back to you growing food in Arizona, because, like I said that 's so different um, from from my environment and my growing experience so i 'm assuming from the research and stuff i 've done that does the majority of your growing come not in the summer because it 's so hot or are you able to still grow quite a bit during the summer? like kind of talk to me about your season with your guys' growing down there and, and some of the ways that maybe you 've you know combated or Improved things and and things you've learned from growing in that environment.
1: Yeah, the so the biggest thing that people need to address when they start growing in the desert is planting the right thing at the right time. And about 18 years ago, I put together with a friend of mine, Matt, I put together a planting a desert planting calendar, and it's on my website. People can download it for free, and um, you know it's a color coded plant this then okay i was having a conversation with somebody recently and they said you know what i planted cucumbers in september it's like oh man i didn't tell them this to them i didn't tell them the oh man part but it's just the totally wrong time of year so being clear about what to plant when in the desert is really important because we do have four growing seasons we can grow all year round and you're correct a majority of what we grow is between October 1st and June 15th. The window of July and August and September is the hardest and hottest time to grow. Uh, You know, pumpkins, cucumbers, melons, uh, 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 squash, those kinds of things you can grow in that window, but it's really hard. And when it's 115 degrees outside, first of all, the plants don't want to be out there, but you sure don't want to be out there. (laughs) So... You know, that's number one, is making sure that you know what to plant when. And I help people with that, with a free planting calendar. Number two is our desert soils have less than 1% organic matter. Wow. Okay. One of the things that I teach about is building healthy soil. Uh, in fact, my, I have a series at HealthySoilHacked.com that shows people, including a sheet mulching video, shows people how to build and create healthy soil. And there are five components of healthy soil. Um, They are dirt, which is broken down rock, which is really important. But if that's all you got, good luck. So dirt, airspace, water, everything that's alive in the soil and organic matter. And the really cool thing is that to fix broken soil in the desert, you add organic matter. And over time, that airspace shows up and the percolation for the water shows up and the everything that's alive in the soil shows up just simply by adding organic matter. So if you're putting a garden in in the desert, getting a good planting mix for your garden beds, you're going to absolutely want to do that. Uh, In fact, one of the stories that I tell um, when I'm lecturing is about Jan's instant garden. She had an east facing garden which means it gets uh, sun in the morning, which is mm-hmm. a, in the desert. That's a perfect place. Uh, her garden bed was four feet wide and 14 feet long. It had a brick border around it and there were no, no noxious weeds growing in it. And she said, she a longtime friend of mine. This was about 10 years ago. She said, Greg, I want a garden in there. So I put eight inches of planting mix in there. And while I was loading, unloading the planting mix for my truck, she was planting the seeds. <laughs> Girl doesn't
0: let grass grow. I like it.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And I have a video, one of my very first YouTube videos from, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago was me doing this. I was there for 47 minutes. It took me 47 minutes to install her garden.
0: That's pretty fast.
1: And I just want you to take note. I didn't do any, I didn't talk about digging. We didn't dig it in because I put eight inches of planting mix on top. Uh I let the roots do the work. I'm a lazy gardener, lazy farmer. I, can, I look for every opportunity to be lazy and let nature be.
0: Same uh, here, same yeah. philosophy, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Why not? You know, nature, you know, my, my friend, the late Toby Hemingway always used to say, nature always bats last. We as human beings think that we know how to do it better than nature. In fact, I wrote this in 1996, I wrote this, our downfall is a species is that we're arrogant enough to think that we can control mother nature and stupid enough to think it's our job. (laughs) So when we let nature, and that's what I love so much about permaculture. Permaculture, I like to call the art and science of working with nature. How do we work in the flow of nature? When we pay attention to nature and let nature do the work for us, life is so much easier.
0: Yeah, I have a very big fondness for perennials. Now, I still grow my annuals, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. perennials, they really are less work and more food over time, mm-hmm. like you said, without putting in all the stuff. Now, I still do annuals because I'm not giving up my tomatoes right. here exactly. and all that kind of stuff. You, both. But yeah, perennials by far require the least amount of work and babying. Overall, there's been instances where you know disease or something like that yep. has, has happened, but overall, yep. Definitely. So, yeah, to completely agree with that.
1: My, my favorite thing to plant is a fruit tree because you plant it once and it'll make fruit for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. I've got two citrus trees in my backyard that are 90 years old.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. See, you can grow citrus. I'm just too cold oh, for yeah. citrus. Yeah. We could do all the other fun things that require oh, yeah. chill hours. And so, yeah, my parents have some apple trees on their property that they haven't even pruned. I kid you not. And like... Yep probably 10 years. Uh-huh. Those things still produce and they were on the Huge. property when they bought it. Yeah. They're at least 50 plus years old. And yeah, yeah it, it, it is very amazing. There's even one in a neighbor's field that has literally fall, fell over. Like part of the roots are up, but part are mm-hmm. still in the ground. It's been falling over in that field for five
1: years and it's still- and It still makes apples. Yeah.
0: Yes. It's no, amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it.
0: Yeah. So- in the desert, timing is key. So now mm-hmm. you've totally got me curious. If September is the wrong time to plant the cucumber, I'm assuming it would have been better in October, a little bit later, or am I wrong on no. that? No,
1: no, we actually get freezing temperatures here and you the, do? the vining, oh. ve- yeah, the vining vegetables, they'll freeze back. Okay. Um, so pretty, any, any, we'll get down into 24, 25, 26 degrees, which is enough to kill basil and tomatoes and peppers oh, yeah. and, you know, pretty much everything that is not cold tolerant. Uh, but So what we plant right now, though so it's the beginning of December, we can still plant it. Greens, kales, brassicas, snow peas, garlic, I'm sure I'm missing a few of them, beans, those kinds of things get planted and they overwinter very nicely here. Wow. The time to plant cucumbers is in March and April. Okay. After, okay. The, after it warms up a little bit.
0: Gotcha. So when do you guys typically, I'm just super curious, yeah, <laughs> when no, do you guys really. typically get those cold temps then? When? Yeah. Um, like I'm assuming like January-ish or? Yeah.
1: Usually we get freezing temperatures from like December 15th to February 1st.
0: Okay. So short window, but you do get yeah. freezing temps. Okay. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, huh. very interesting. So right now you still are probably being able to harvest quite a bit then.
1: Oh, yeah. We, you know, all of our greens, uh, the greens, the brassicas, all that stuff is thriving in the yard. Carrots, beets, and a lot of that stuff. So I designed my yard here at the Urban Farm like a food forest. So I let things go to seed. And last year, I, I had this, this curious thing happen last year. I'll, I'll bring, in, bring in interns. And I had an intern about a year and three months ago. And I gave him four ounces of carrot seeds that I had saved from, my, from the previous year. I save a lot of my own seeds. Yeah, same And that. I said, here, plant a few rows of carrots. Now, four ounces of carrot seeds could easily be, what, 50,000 seeds? Yeah, it'd be a lot. They're little. He, <laughs> he planted them all. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was under the impression, from what he had told me, I was under the impression, you know, that he knew how to do that. So, I just let him do it. And so, he planted them all. So, I had a bumper crop of carrot seeds this last season. <laughs> I didn't get any carrots because they were all too close together and I wasn't going to thin out the seeds.
0: That would be a lot of thinning. <laughs>
1: right, exactly. So I just let them all go to seed. I saved the seeds. And so I have, you know, seeds again for uh, this season. But what what happened was, is that a lot of those seeds just dropped on the ground. So I have a nice crop of carrots that just planted themselves out from last year. And at any given moment in the yard, there are 20 to 40 different things that I can go harvest that just grow naturally in my yard anymore. I don't plant them anymore. I've got parsley and oregano and thyme and rosemary. I've got nasturtiums that come up every year. I got cow peas. Um, I've got uh, carrots. Um, I got lettuce. In fact, the lettuce will often come up in the lawn um you know so basically going back to permaculture and letting nature be if you let this stuff go to seed and then just spread the seeds it'll come back and you'll just have food to harvest like what happen in a forest
0: yeah i i that's so funny we i've had the exact like dill i don't have to plant dill anymore yep. dill just comes comes yep. up my uh, calendula just pops up which i adore not having mm-hmm. to plant that um yeah so so many of those things will uh when you let like, just like you said with And carrots, I had carrots go to seed and collected them and Mm -hmm. all of that. So it can be really fun. There are, um, you know, if you've got wild like Queen Anne's Lace, sometimes those seeds can begin to, you know, that's a whole other topic, seed saving, which I love and definitely do. But it is, when you said the lazy way of gardening, if you let... now. If you don't want them to go to seed and, and repopulate for you which most cases i do obviously cut them yes. off before cut them off before they get there and it's an easy solution but it is really nice not having to plant everything year after year after right. year even right. when it isn't annual um yeah. but a lot of those will sell seed uh chamomile is another one that will often do it in the, the herb flower family they're great at, at doing that so yeah i love I love that too. It almost feels like, to me, I'm almost feel like I'm cheating. Like I go out and right. I'm like, oh look, I didn't have to do that. There it is. Yeah, I yeah. love that. <laughs> yeah, so you're able to grow a lot in your guises, in your space. And so I'm assuming like you've got the, you do the rain barrels and then the, the water is going to be probably your biggest issue, I would think. And then knowing yeah. the right time of planting, which guys we will have in the blog post that accompanies this episode. I'll have links to all of the different resources and freebies stuff that Greg's been talking about. So you can hit that and, and click some direct links to get there so that you'll be able to find them um, and take advantage of those, for, especially for those of you who I know are listening who are in that area and you really benefit from that.
1: So, cool, Thanks with- for that.
0: Yeah, yeah, no problem. I always know. Sometimes I'm listen. I love podcasts. Big surprise there. And I'm listening, and I'm like, oh, but where do I get that exactly? Mm -hmm. I'm like, give me a link. So we'll make sure and get that taken care of for you. So with with the urban gardening that you're doing, um, I love your philosophy was to first feed yourself and then to feed others. So kind of talk us talk to me a little bit about kind of like that that evolution and any tips you have, which I know we've talked a lot about the soil health, especially. um, But going from just maybe producing a small amount of food, like what a lot of people would think perhaps that you would be doing in an urban garden. I know permaculture is part of that too. Mm -hmm. Um, But kind of that transition from just doing a little bit to really growing a lot of food and even more than enough than you would even need yourself and, and sharing that with others. And I, I, very fascinated by that part of what you've done. So I'd love to hear more.
1: Perfect. So, first of all, th- this notion of lack, I'm going to kind of digress here for a moment of not having enough. I believe that there is one place on the planet that that concept lives, and only one place, and that's between our ears. Oh my gosh, there's not enough. Because when I look at the amount of abundance that comes out of my yard right now, from, from my fruit trees. I have almost 80 fruit trees on a third of an acre here in Phoenix and we're getting ready to harvest citrus. The cool thing about citrus is I get to harvest it over the next five months. But I would say if I went and harvested all the citrus on my property right now, I'd have a ton, literally 2000 pounds of fruit. So when I look at that from the perspective of growing, um, and being a gardener because this whole thing started for me in the 1970s as being a gardener and over the course of the last 30 years i've shifted it from being a gardener to being a farmer because a gardener is a being a gardener is a is a hobby generally speaking and being a farmer is a profession and when you shift your thinking from oh i'm just going to grow a little bit of food to i'm going to grow food and share it it does something in your brain that has that, that br- I believe it brings on more abundance. And so my pathway to starting, to starting your urban farm or starting your farm, whether you're in an urban area or not mm-hmm. is to grow food, to share it, even if you're just sharing it with your family and then name your farm. And since I've started that, this conversation about, 12, 14 years ago here in Phoenix, there are literally thousands and thousands of people in Phoenix that have named their farm. You know, my friend, um, uh, Melanie lives in an apartment. And so she calls her farm Two fat cats, apartment garden, <laughs> and she's I love growing, it. right? Right. So, <laughs> so first of all, what I want to point out, look what that just did for the energy in the space. When i shared that name you laughed it lightened up the space it made it a happy space and a big you know and food when you have a party at your house and i'm talking to everybody now when you all have a party at your house where do people usually gather around the food or in the kitchen yeah food is a happy thing and what i'm proposing is that we get back to food being a happy thing rather than something that you go to the grocery store and you know, just harvest and it's probably part of what we get in the grocery store, 80% of what we get in the grocery store is from is, is contributes to the sad diet. Do you know the sad diet? Yeah. The standard, mean, standard standard American diet. Yeah. It's making people obese. You, you know, heart we got heart problems coming from that. We got diabetes coming from that. There's cancer that comes from from not eating appropriately. So the whole really what I started pushing about 10 or 12 years ago was to get people to think about, okay, not being a gardener, although gardening is a good thing. I'm nothing bad about that, but be a farmer. Because when you're farming, you're actually growing in abundance to share with people. And the cool thing now is that our local farmers markets, they have community booths. So if you grow an abundance of something, you can take it to the community booth and they'll sell it for you and you can make some money from it. And then and then what happens like with my friend Rose here in Phoenix, she's been doing that for a while. And now all of a sudden she has her own booth at the farmer's market. I like it. Yeah. So the naming part is a really key piece, even if you just have a few pots on a patio and you're calling it Two Fat Cats Apartment Gardens. It brings a level of authenticity and realness To the concept of growing food, which we so need in our culture right now, we have a very broken food system in our culture. Yeah. And there is only a three day supply of food in any grocery store. And I believe there's only a three hour supply because if something happens like um, the massive storm that happened recently in in the East, Mm -hmm. the grocery stores shelves were emptied in three hours. So we have to figure out how to replace our broken food system with local food systems. And that's why I've taken on being the guy on the planet responsible for transforming our global food systems. And, and I'm not going to do it alone. In fact, I can't do most of it. What I have to do is I just have to inspire people to grow their own food.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I completely agree. I'm like, I, you can't see obviously because we're recording this, just an audio, and my head is like nodding. But it's so true, and I say because I do homesteading and gardening, which gardening definitely goes with homesteading. But a lot of us are, you know, looking to if we don't have livestock yet. You have chickens, right. so you're yep. you're basically a homesteader. But oh, yes. the farmer and homesteader goes together. Yep. And I say the same thing. I'm like homesteading and gardening. It, it people when you first say it are like what. It's a state of mind first. It it really is. It's a state of mind first because I've got home apartment homesteaders, apartment gardeners. It truly is. It's a state of mind. And once you determine and say, this is what I am and this is what we're doing, even though my circumstances aren't ideal, I'm in an apartment or whatnot, it does do something. I mean, I have got, uh, Anna's been on my podcast Anna's a a member in uh, my pioneering today academy and she started out in an apartment not even knowing how to cook from scratch let alone grow anything like Mm -hmm. literally didn't even know and but she's like this is what i'm doing and now they would you know started did it in an apartment for a couple years started renting a home and now have just purchased their first um little suburban, suburban homestead with nice. art and all of that. Yeah. So it's amazing, but really it was, it was that, it, just like you said, it was that mindset first. Yep. And I think a lot of times too, is looking with that mindset and then sometimes, and it's like, no, you can't just have the mindset, but that mindset, um, precedes the actions that you're going to take that are going to get you those results. And yeah. what you don't know, you're going to figure it out. You're going to use resources and you're going to learn and it's all building blocks that come up. So yeah, Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought that point up because I think a lot of times people overlook it or they just don't really appreciate how much impact that has.
1: Yeah. That, that is a huge one. And I've, I've seen it here in Phoenix. People will come up to me in public because I, you know, I'm a bit of a public figure here. I've been on TV and people know my face and uh, they'll, they'll thank me and tell me, How much value they have in their urban farm. And they tell me their urban farm name. And, you know, it's like, yay.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So, for listeners, which guys, Greg has a podcast, the Urban Farm Podcast, which you're totally going to want to go and check out. But before we sign off for today, is there any other, you know, tips or bit of wisdom or anything like that that you want to share with everybody who's listening on growing their own food?
1: Yeah. So growing food is simple and you can overwhelm yourself. So I, a few years ago, I had a young lady on a tour here. And as you can imagine, a third of an acre with 80 fruit trees and chickens and solar panels and rainwater and graywater harvesting is, is, and can be quite overwhelming. And she, she was, uh, you know, kind of toward the end of the, the tour, she stuck up her hand and she says, I'm so overwhelmed here. Where do I start? And I sh- what I shared with her was this, it's like pick one thing or two things that inspire you, that's exciting, that you can really get into and do that first. It may just be growing some herbs in a pot. I tell people this all the time, grow herbs. They're the most expensive thing to buy and the easiest thing to grow. And they can be grown in pots. Yeah. So, you know, grow herbs, grow something, pick one thing. Maybe it's plant one fruit tree and be successful with that because what will happen is if you try too many things and aren't successful with them, you get disappointed and you stop. And that's the last thing we want you to do is stop. So start easy, pick one or two things that inspire you. I was, you know, I was on your website this morning and literally I was just talking to Heidi, Heidi's my sweetheart, about sourdough bread. Oh, and on your website pops up this dialog box that says, want to know how to how to make sourdough bread? It's like, ooh, that's one thing that I'd like to do. And that's a, that. So pick one. I'm getting chills right now, by the way. Pick, <laughs> pick one thing like sourdough bread or getting three laying hens for your backyard or growing some herbs in a pot. But don't take on too much because we can, over, can and do overwhelm ourselves. I do it myself. So that would be my piece of advice.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love it. Such good. I often give that too. And you're right. Herbs are one of the most expensive <laughs> right. things and you have to buy them in the store. It always shocks me when I see the price tag, especially on dried herbs are bad enough, but fresh mm-hmm. herbs. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. Like four bucks for a little couple of leaves. That's crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, such great points. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I can't wait to hear about your first sourdough. Now, now you've got me excited. <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm excited too. You're going to be on my podcast pretty soon. So we're going to get to continue this conversation uh, pretty soon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. I know. I get, I love I love hearing other people's stories and their journeys and how it kind of leads us all to a very similar spot, just yep. the roads that we take are a little bit different. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing and inspiring people. And like I said, guys we will have links to everything in the, in the blog post notes that go with this episode. So you can definitely go and check out and learn more from Greg um, and his podcast and all that fun stuff. So thank you so much for coming on.
1: Oh, thank you. I've had so much fun. Yay, we do.
0: Well, I hope you guys were inspired about growing your own food as I was with this episode. And here is my question for you. So I want you to tag me. You can leave it in a review of this episode. You can email it to me. But I want to know, what are you naming your farm? Uh, sir, I am serious. I want you to put it in a story on Instagram. You can tag me on Instagram, on Facebook. You can message it to me. You can email me melissa at melissacanoris.com, or leave a review of the podcast and put it in there. And then I'll know that you listened to this episode, but I'm, I am, I'm really serious. I want to know what are you naming your farm? Even if it was just like the example where you're still living in an apartment and you've got a few container plants. I want to know what your farm name is. Now, to get access to all the different resources that we talked about, you can go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 223, just the number 223, because this is episode 223. And we'll have links to all of the different things that we talked about. Now, in just a minute, I'll be sharing my verse of the week, but. I want to let you know, if you didn't hear yet, that my new book, The Family Garden Plan, Grow a Year's Worth of Sustainable and Healthy Food, is available for pre-order. And I have got some amazing pre-order bonuses that you do not want to miss. So both to order the book and then to go and claim the bonuses, go to familygardenplan.com. Pre order your book wherever you want Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Christian Book Distributors, you name it. You can pre order it and then go to the claim bonus section, which is at the bottom of the page. Fill up the farm and you'll get all of the bonuses sent to you immediately. But this is a resource if you plan on growing your own food. If you want to be growing your fruit and berries, perennials, herbs, and of course, an annual vegetable garden. You are going to want this book. The charts and the worksheets are everything that I use from knowing how much to plant per person for your family in your specific gardening area and zone to natural pest control crop rotation and companion planting charts that break it all down, as well as a berry planting guide and fruit trees for helping you plan out your orchard. So I want you to go and snag, pre-order your coffee, get those pre-order bonuses, and then I wanna know after you go through, because you get instant access to some of the worksheets and charts that are in the book. So I want you to go through them And then I want you to tell me which crops you are raising a year's worth of for your family and based on the charts, how many plants that's going to be. Okay. You have got your homework, both your farm name and which crops you are growing a year's of and how many. And now we'll move into our verse of the week. So this is from Ezekiel and it's actually... From chapter eight of my book, each book has a verse. I should say each chapter has a verse, not book. It is from my book, but each chapter has a verse that opens it up. So chapter eight is Ezekiel 47, verse 12. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. One, I love this verse because it is a promise for when Christ returns and we have a world that is no longer broken by sin, where the fruit trees and the leaves, all of nature that God created will no longer be in death, but it will produce without withering. I can't even imagine if this broken world is this beautiful what it's going to look like when it is restored. And the other part of this verse that I like is it reminds me that they are being restored by the waters from the sanctuary, which the sanctuary, I like to think of this as a metaphor as We, the living waters that we receive when we spend time with Christ, when we spend time praying and we spend time in the Bible and we just spend time in relationship with him, how that restores my soul, and not just my soul, though it definitely does restore that in my spirit. But it bubbles over and it flows over into my energy, into my mental capabilities and my words and the way that I respond to people and my feelings and the way, to, way that I feel. And so it's so important, just like a plant needs that restorative water and it needs those it needs water, or it's going to die. So do I need that spring and that flow from Jesus and the Holy Spirit as well. So it's a reminder of the promise of things to come. And it's also a reminder to me to make sure that I'm getting that water and I'm doing it often enough so that it is it's a continual flow. And on a very regular basis, not just once a year or just even once a week on Sunday when I go to church, but throughout my days and throughout my weeks that I'm getting that flow of water so that I can serve and that I can also be healed when I need it. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it and I can't wait to be back here with you next week. And if you enjoyed it, Please share it with someone else that you know would benefit from it as well. And don't forget to send me the answers to your homework assignment. Okay, I'll be back here with you next week, same time, same place on Wednesday.